My name is Jill Heinerth, and I am an underwater explorer. Why don't you be an astronaut when I was a little kid? <laughs> but I think rather than the actual act of walking on the moon, I was mostly interested in exploring. Growing up, we could go all day long and just be home by the time the streetlights came on. I was swimming, paddling, anything to stay in the water. My friend and I, as kids at the age of eight or 10, would stop and sneak into a farmer's yard and go for a little dip in the pond. I think in the water was one of the places where not only was I comfortable and happy and felt like I was in my element, but it was also a place where I was good at something. And so that world without gravity was a place where I did well, but it also felt like a big equalizer. And I sort of feel that way about the underwater world today, where anyone of any cultural background, socioeconomic background, any size, shape, it's a place where we can all be graceful in paradise. And as a kid, I, I didn't have self-confidence in other aspects of my life. And so that was a place where I felt very confident. I want to talk a little bit about what that's taken you to, because with great risk comes great reward. Could you talk me through some of the extreme risks that cave diving entails so that we can understand some context about the life choices that you've made? Maybe I should describe what cave diving is like. There are a lot of people that dive in ocean environments, open water, where they can swim straight to the surface. When we're cave diving, we're actually swimming through spaces with a ceiling over our head. So conduits, tunnels that branch out like the branches of a tree underground, and we enter literally a hole in the ground, sometimes on land and sometimes underwater. So in some cases, I might be swimming through this gin clear, beautiful spring run where there's this fresh flow of current in my face. And then I get to the source of where that water is coming from. And that's a spring and a black doorway, basically, that leads into these branching conduits of caves. Then I'll swim down and then enter this space, this overhead environment. When we go into these underwater caves, we first tie off a reel. So it's like a fishing reel almost, except with braided nylon guideline on it. We tie that off way back in the open water and we run that piece of string from that reel all the way through the environment where we're exploring. But it's really, really important to have that string as a visual reference. But also if we have what we call a silt out, like a whiteout of sediment in the water column so that we can't see, we need to be able to reach out and put our hand around that guideline so that that can lead us back to safety just by feel. Now, sometimes, the spaces within these caves is enormous. I mean, I could put an entire house in some of these spaces. They're so big at times that I can't even see the walls or the floors or the ceiling for reference. But other times when I'm swimming through these spaces, it would be the equivalent of me 
squeezing into the space underneath a bed you know, and grinding my way through, chest pinned on the ground, shoulders, you know, scraping along the ceiling, turning my head sideways so that I can fit my helmet through and still running that guideline through that space and very carefully securing the guideline so that if I turn around to follow it back blind, I will be able to fit through those spaces again in reverse. And that's incredibly important because you can imagine if you're leading someone through a cave system like that that's small and they're behind you and they get stuck, when you turn around, they will become the cork in the bottle containing your life. So they have to be able to find their way out too, either by seeing or by grasping that guideline and squeezing through the passages. But when you work in a space like that with an overhead environment, it means that you have to be able to solve anything that could possibly go wrong in place. So you can't just swim to the surface and gasp for air. You've got to solve a problem maybe miles away from being able to exit and come back to breathing air on the surface. And that's what makes it so extreme. Yeah, that's amazing. How do you manage the emotions that arise when like, let's say you see a pinch point, and you can get through this pinch point, but who knows what's on the other side? And who knows if you're going to be able to turn around? Does fear arise for you? Oh, fear is an important driver of what I do. I have to be able to manage fear and mitigate risk. And so I have a bit of a process for that. Before the dive, I actually work through all the things that could possibly go wrong. Like if I'm envisioning a space that's really small, a pinch point, a restriction that I have to pass through, I have to think about everything that could possibly go wrong. Will I have to take off my equipment and put it back on again? Will I have a buddy with me? Is it a good idea to have a buddy with me? I have to pre-visualize everything that could go wrong and then think of the solutions even before I get in the water. That way, when I actually start the dive, the fear is gone. And there's a lot of confidence over, I can handle whatever happens. Now, inevitably, when something bad does happen, like you're stuck or your buddy's stuck and they're blocking the way out of the cave, the first thing that happens is your heart races and what I call the chattering monkeys just start erupting in your head. There's like, oh my God, oh my God. (laughs) Your breathing rate goes up at the worst possible time. So I have to be able to take a really deep cleansing breath and slow down my heart rate and slow down my breathing and shove the emotions aside. I'll literally say to myself, emotions, you won't serve me well right now. (laughs) And set those aside and focus on very small, pragmatic steps. Okay, my buddy's stuck and panicking. Well, let's get that panic to stop. (laughs) Let's see if we can free the buddy. 
Oh boy, the guidelines broken. Oh, okay, well that's the next step. I've got to patch the guideline. And then every time your mind starts to race, you have to, again, take a deep breath and say, no, what's the next best step that I can make right now? And survival is just a combination of small steps towards a solution without getting overwhelmed by the bigness of the problem. But, you know, as that kid that wanted to be the astronaut, people said to me, oh, well, honey, there's no girl astronauts. Sir Edmund Hillary's been to the top of Everest. Men have walked on the moon and have been to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. The age of exploration is over. <laughs> what is there left to do? But I looked at that and went, no, it's not over. We know more about space than we do about the deep oceans or these cave passages inside the planet. And when I'm swimming through these caves, I'm literally swimming through the veins of Mother Earth in the sustenance, the drinking water that provides life on this planet. These are places that are very abstract. Most people don't really understand where their drinking water comes from. Most people can't envision the remains of past civilizations in underwater caves beneath their feet. Being able to share those things with other people is amazing. And an opportunity to explore those depths is just unbelievable. Unbelievable.